Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Good morning, good morning. This is a wonderful morning and uh, the pastor is taking a, a rest. And so I get a chance to preach, which is wonderful. How many of you brought your Bibles today? Your real Bible. I'd like to see it. You brought your real Bible. Your real, real Bible. Amen. So, very good, because we're going to use it, and there are no aids today. So if you didn't bring your Bible, you better get your phone out. Because I'd really like you to read through with me. And we're going to start in John 15, verse 7. And it's amazing how the ministry went on earlier. Because it really feeds into to what, we're, what we're saying. It's quite amazing how we can go through year after year, Christmas after Christmas... And we suffer the same bitterness, disappointment, and things don't seem to be changing very often in some of our lives. And I want to address that uh, today, because it says in John chapter 15, now John is one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For those who only know just by typing in John, it's amazing how we get out of knowing where the books of the Bible are. John chapter 15, verse 7. If you will abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. When we read our Bibles, do we actually pause, as David often says in his psalm, Selah, take a moment and think about that. Have we ever thought, how true is this in my life? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. You will ask anything that you desire, and it shall be done of you. Perhaps that's where our disappointment over Christmas is. I've been trusting God for my family to get together. And he hasn't done it yet. And again, I'm alone over Christmas. I've been believing God. I've been asking him for a husband. I don't know how many Christmases I've had by myself. Whatever the situation is. I've been trusting God for my business. And I'm still having... To have the, I can't afford the Christmas fair. But it says here that whatever we ask, we desire, He will be do it. He will do it for us. That is a carte blanche promise. That is an awesome promise. Ah, they say. Read the verse before. No, the, the line before. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. What does that mean? 
oh, I've got to be a good Christian. I've got to be in the Word every single day. Um, those are all good. The, and His Word needs to be hot, and I, I need to be like Steve Wheeler, and I've got to be on fire all the time with the Word inside me, because then I know the pastor, whatever he asks for, he gets. But me, uh, I'm not following this. I, I, I don't have any confidence that I can ask anything, and God will give it to me. Now, he gave us a great gift at this time, at this season. He gave his son. And there's a scripture that says, with Christ, would he not give you all things? But really, that's a little bit remote from us because we don't have confidence that God will answer anything that we ask. My asking is sinful. My asking is for me. You know, it says in James, it says in James, it says if you want to use it on yourself, uh, you don't get it. Yeah, no, uh, James 1, yeah, it says that. But what about this? And there is a little clue in the word ask. You might have heard me talk about this before, and I don't have an overhead for it, so just listen carefully. That word ask is a very important word. In the Greek, it's aiteo, A-I-T-E-O. And it means to ask demanding of your covenant. It's a covenant word. It's a covenant word. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Do we understand our covenant? Are we able to ask anything of God because we are sure of our standing with God and our covenant with Him. Do we, do we know what a covenant is? Anybody who doesn't know what a covenant is? The word covenant. We all know what covenant is. Okay, that's wonderful. But I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, let's now turn to uh, the book of the beginnings, Genesis. That's the first book of the Bible, guys. First book. Genesis 15. And I want you to see that we're not alone in how can I know that what I ask of God I can receive. Abraham had the same question. And we're going to start in verse 1. There's, there's a lot in chapter 15. And you know, Ab Abram had been instructed by God in, um, in chapter 12. And he had received the initial promise from God, I will bless you, I will make you a blessing. And then, um, then he goes through a few things and fights a big battle for Lot. And in chapter 15, and after these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now, that sounds like a wonderful promise, but it's actually covenant talk. And to explain that, I just, I'm going to take a pause. Covenant and cutting a blood covenant was, was a very big thing in those times 
and in many ancient tribes. Today, they still cut blood covenants. But we've kind of lost the meaning of it. And so I just want to reiterate it. What was the reason to cut a covenant? If you were two tribes in the jungle and you were all at war with each other and it was doing you no good and enemy other tribes were taking advantage of you because you were always at loggerheads, probably um, a split family or whatever it was, and you were fighting with each other. And so somebody has an epiphany and says, listen, let's not fight each other. Let's um, have an an alliance. And this alliance has to be a really good one because we've got to overcome all this animosity. We've got to get over it so that we can trust that you won't take advantage of us when our God is down. So they came up with, and I think it was God's idea, right in the Garden of Eden when he made um, bloody um, garments for Adam and Eve. That's where the beginning of it came because the power of the life is in the blood. And everybody knows that. You take blood out of an animal, it dies. And so this is a blood covenant because it is sacred and it will cost your life if you break it. So these two tribes, they get together and they say, right, we, we want to come into covenant with you. We don't want to fight with you anymore. Now to show that we're serious, we're going to go through the ceremony. And the ceremony is briefly like this. They exchange, the, the elders of the, of the tribes, they exchange coats. They take their coats off. Now their coat represents who they are. If they had a fancy coat, they were a rich person. They were a wealthy person. So the chiefs exchange their, their um, coats. They also exchange their belts. That didn't mean that their um, pants, pants fell down because they weren't wearing pants in those days. It held their weapons. So they exchanged their weapons. Their coats and their weapons. That means virtually everything that I am is yours. I'm giving you all my assets, my swords, and my, uh, my wealth, my houses, and everything that I own is yours, and everything of yours is mine. You can imagine doing that with the person sitting next to you. Whoa, this is a bit serious. Everything that is yours is mine. And everything of mine is yours. Then they bring, they bring some animals. They each bring an animal and they cut it longitudinally down the spine. Whoops, beg your pardon. And by cutting it that way, there is a huge amount of blood on the floor. They lay the two animals down in their halves and they then walk the covenant. They walk a figure of eight through the blood. Gets all over their clothes and it gets all over their shoes. And they walk the covenant, a figure of eight, through the blood. And then they make a declaration to one another. They say, do to me what I have done to this animal. And it's a gory mess. If I do not keep this covenant. This is a very serious thing. Then often they will make an incision in their wrist. Sometimes it's in their face, but in their, in their wrist. And they will have a handshake. I think that's the original place for a handshake came. You're a friend, 
and a friend means more than it um, believe uh, that it stands for today. If you're a friend, you're a covenant friend, and the handshake put together the the two scars. I mean, the, yeah, the two wounds. You mingle your blood. This is representative that my tribe is part of you, and your tribe is part of me, one hundred percent. And they put some ash in that scar. You see it even today. Um, certain tribes will have um, markings on their face. And they put ash in it or something in it to stop it healing quickly and so that it makes a mark. And that mark is very significant to that covenant. So that if you are giving a greeting, you can see the covenant and you know, oh, yes, that mark, I recognize that. That's my covenant brother or sister. And um, they will often also take blood of the animal or their own blood and they will drink it. So I'm taking all of you, your blood, your life, and I'm putting it inside me and I'm drinking it. They also exchange names. So... I don't know whether I should do covenant with you, Richard, because you've got a really difficult surname. But anyway, what happens is I'm Steve Pilbara, and so I, when I come in covenant with Richard, I become Steve Arschlager Pilbara, and he becomes Richard Pilbara Arschlager. And so we've got a double-barreled name, and all of our families are named the same. So we know that we have got another link with the Arschlager family. And then probably one of the final things that's done is they plant a memorial. They'll plant a tree or a forest or a grove or put up a big cairn or a pyramid or something. Something will be put up so that from generation to generation, and we even read it in the Bible, God wanted the children of the Israelites to ask, why is this Cain here? And they have the um, opportunity to explain the covenant that they were in with God. And so that memorial is there as well as the mark that is, um, that is on, your, on your skin. The closest covenant that we have these days in modern life is marriage. And a lot of those things are, are quite similar. Definitely all of all of your assets are mine. I'm not so sure that my assets are yours, but anyway. That make sure you, rich, you, buy, you marry into a rich family so that all their assets and all your liabilities are theirs. That's quite a good plan to do. Anyway, let's carry on. Let's go back to chapter 1, I mean, chapter 15, verse 1. And God said, now we can begin to recognize some of these covenant actions and we can see the question that um, Abram asks a little bit later here is, how do I know you're going to fulfill your promises, God? I've left my family. I've left the Earl Ur of Chaldeans. I've come out of there. I'm following you just on your word. But how I know you're going to do this for me? And God has a great plan for him. He says, I am your shield. I'm your weapon, your shield, your protector. I'm your exceeding great reward. I see exchange of belts and exchange of coats there. I think 
Abram's mind got going at that stage. Whoa, these are covenant terms that he's talking about. And Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing as I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is not my heir. And that was the earlier promise that um, how can I be a blessing when I'm going to die? My heir is not my own. My name is going to be, is going to die out. Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but the one will come from you, from your body will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards the heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So he's reiterating to Abram that you are, you are surely going to have more descendants than all of this. And that was prophetic because we are included in that, as you'll see. Verse 6, And he believed the Lord, and it accounted him for righteousness. Then he said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And Abram said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? I mean, if I'd been having a conversation with God, I don't think I would dare ask anything. I think I'd be flat on the floor. I mean, God Almighty is talking and he's giving these absolutely massive promises and all of that. Anyway. He knew he needed to know for sure, for sure, for sure that this is going to happen because he's hanging the rest of his life on what God has been saying here. Then verse 9. So he says, how shall I know? How will I know that I will inherit it? And he said, bring me a three-year-old heifer, three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove. And a young pigeon. The next part of the covenant. So he says bring them. So he knew something serious was up. And he cut them in two down the middle. And placed each piece opposite the other. And he didn't cut the birds in two. Then the vultures came down. So I think the devil got a bit scared at this stage. He said whoa something serious is going to happen. Um. With Abram, this is, he's heard the words of God, and so he sent the birds to try and steal it. Sounds a little bit familiar then uh, with the sower of the seed, and the devil, the birds come and steal the word. He was trying to do it way back here, take the word out before it could be um, consummated in a covenant. Abram drove the birds away. Now verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And just the awesomeness of what was going on. There must have been a monumental spiritual battle going on over this whole event. And God said to Abram, 
Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them. And he goes through, this is the promise talking about when um, Joseph was in Egypt and 400 years, fourth generation, and they shall return. In verse 17, and it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between their pieces. Have you ever wondered what that, what's going on there? Obviously, there's two things that are happening, and the two parties are walking the figure of eight through these pieces that, that Abram has killed and slaughtered, and they're on the ground. What's happening here? Abram is asleep. What is happening here? Who is cutting the covenant? Now, when I was explaining the two tribes get together, usually the tribes will be fairly equal. One will have a, 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 a great asset on one side, and then the other tribe will have another asset. And when they come together, they'll be twice as strong. And one tribe wants something of the other tribe and vice versa. That's why they decide to come into covenant. But in this situation, God is cutting covenant with man. What has man got to offer? Like I mentioned earlier, marry the, marry the rich girl, and she can have all your, all your liabilities, and you can have all your assets. That's a much the situation here, because man had nothing to offer. But there was. God needed a partner in the earth for his plan to come to pass and for Jesus to come so that his plan of redemption can happen. It could not happen without a partner on the earth. He wanted a partner that knew without a shadow of a doubt that he could rely on his partner in heaven. So who walk this. These words are interesting how Moses wrote these words and it says that and in verse there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch. I had a look those words. I looked the words up because I'd like to know I can, I can guess who it is, but really I wanted to know who was the one that was walking the covenant with him. A smoking furnace, the same words smoking and furnace are the same words used in Exodus 19.18. Don't worry, we won't go there. Jehovah, and it uses the word Jehovah, our Bible says the Lord God, Jehovah descended upon the Mount Sinai and the Israelites saw this smoking furnace. That's the way they described it. They used the same word. So I think the one party that walked the covenant was Jehovah God. The same description. And the burning lamp, Exodus 32.2, it says, 
the angel of the Lord appeared in the bush, this is to Moses, as a flame of fire. And the same word is used, a burning lamp is the same as a flame of fire. The angel of the Lord, who's that? The angel of the Lord appeared to, appeared to Abraham a little bit later. The angel of the Lord is commonly um, capitalized. That is the Lord Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus. Psalm 119, 105 says, The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus is the word and the word is the lamp. Jesus is the other party. Now, isn't that awesome? Looking forward to Jesus' sacrifice represent being born of, of, a, of a virgin, the season we celebrate. He, looking forward to that, he walked the covenant on behalf of man. He walked the covenant. God and Jesus. Jesus re representing man, God, the Godhead. And they walked the covenant. Oh. Right, we've got to go fast. How am I going to do this? Okay, in verse 18... Um, God declared the um, terms of the covenant. And in chapter 17 and verse 5, another part of the covenant happened. So we know this was a real pucker covenant. In verse 5 it says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And Sarah also had her name changed as, as the same example. So God's name, Yahweh, which the Jews couldn't say, it was just and got put into Abram, became Abraham. And God gave his name to Abraham. And there's a scripture that in James 2.23, Abram was called the friend of God. So he became known as uh, God became known as the covenant partner, the friend of Abraham. And in verse 10, the sign of the covenant, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you, all your descendants after you, every male child among you shall be circumcised. The circumcision was the scar of the covenant. So you can see all these parts are falling into, into place. And this was all leading towards Christ when he came. Now, this is the most important part. First Corinthians. Let's go there to our communion scripture, which is, which is very powerful. Because sometimes we forget that the Jews, as they sat around the table of, of the communion, that uh, the Last Supper that Jesus had with them, they were steeped in covenant. 
they knew exactly, they studied Abraham. They fully understood what was going on with, um, with the covenant and what Jesus was about to do. And it's got a nice short, um, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24, it's condensed nicely for us to see these elements of the covenant. Jesus was sitting around the table with his disciples. When he had given thanks, he broke the bread. Take, eat. This is my body, which is, and in my Bible, New King James, this is the Bible that uh, Paul used. You know, it's the real one, but it's got a mistake in here. It says, that's a joke, by the way. It says, my body which is broken for you. We know that Jesus' body was not broken. There was no bone that was broken. They inserted this and just to try and make sense of what he says. But Jesus is saying, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance to do this in remembrance of me. His body was to be the sacrifice lamb that was destroyed in the covenant. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus actually told, told his disciples and all those following him, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Many disciples left at that point, and the disciples were asked by Jesus, are you going to leave me as well? But you have the life, you have the words of life, Lord Jesus, where can we go? He's referring to covenant. It's all talking about covenant, covenant, covenant. And we can understand now that he is talking about what he's going to do on the cross. And we do that when we have communion. We are eating his body and we are drinking his blood, representatives of, in the communion elements. And that is to remind ourselves we are in an unbreakable communion with God. And Jesus Christ is the mediator of that. What is the memorial of the covenant that Jesus cut with us, for us? The memorial is the cross. The memorial is the cross. That's the tree that he was hung on. That is our symbol that reminds us of our covenant. And time is up. When, how do we enter into this covenant? I mean, we can re read how Abram did it, and it's quite understandable how the disciples managed to get into this covenant, but it's the same for all of us. In Romans 10, 9, it says, Confess with your mouth the lordship of Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. With the heart, with the heart one believes to righteousness, and confession is made to salvation. This was exactly the same as the covenant that Abraham cut. 
And that is how we enter into the covenant. It no longer is physical blood and things done physically. We enter into a spiritual covenant with God and that is available for us. But it is a covenant that cannot be broken. God has made a covenant with us through Jesus Christ dying on the cross. It cannot be broken. It is certain, absolutely certain. So we can have confidence that God will not break his side of it. What is our requirement in it? Believe. Believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Believe that he has made covenant with you. And God initiated it. It wasn't your idea. It was his idea. And he has made a covenant with you that he cannot break. He cannot break. So to finish, thank you, Mark. Yo, somebody's out there. Let's finish up where we started. In John 15. John chapter 15. If you abide in me and, my, and I abide in you. Jesus saying, it's in red, that means Jesus was saying it. And that means if we abide in him. If we're in covenant with him. Are you in covenant with him? Yes, we are. Then you will demand of your covenant and you will ask whatever you will that you desire. Now your desires is not are the same as his desires because he's your covenant partner. You're not going to want to do all the earthy stuff that the non-covenant people do. And it shall be done. Your God in heaven and Jesus, the, your intercessor, will make sure that it's done for you because you are effecting his will on this earth. That's what it's for. This whole covenant is so that people can come to Christ and he will answer our prayer. Because in verse 8, by this, my father is glorified. He's glorified when people come into covenant with him. And he enters the family of Christ. And you bear much fruit. And you'll be my disciples. I want to tell you, and I hope, hopefully you've heard, heard it today, that we can have absolute, absolute confidence that God will answer your prayer. He will do it for you. But... Use the word aeteo when you're asking. Demand of your covenant. You're not saying, hey, God, give this to me. You're saying, hey, covenant, I'm in covenant. Therefore, this is my right. And there is an opposition to your receiving that, just like it was the vultures that came to steal the, the covenant uh, pieces. The devil doesn't want you to receive your inheritance. In Deuteronomy 18.8, God gives us the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant that he swore to our fathers. God wants to give you stuff that will make you successful. He wants to give you everything that you need to make yourself successful because if you are blessed, you will be a blessing. Sounds like Abraham. We can have absolute confidence. Absolute confidence. But we have to be. 
in covenant with God. And for some of you, this might be um, a, a strange talk. Never heard talk like this. And I'd like to ask you whether you are in covenant with God. Those that know that you're in covenant and you're a Christian, you have the name of God on you, Christ one, Christ-like one, I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just pray. And I want to ask everyone, can you say that I have believed in the Lord Jesus, the Lordship of Jesus, and I have confessed with my mouth that God raised him from the dead? Have I ever said that? If you have, you're in covenant. And you don't need to respond. But if you haven't, on this wonderful celebration of Jesus bringing to earth the fulfillment of the covenant that he walked with Abraham, I want you to raise your hand.